According to research, 61% of Americans say that they pray. Research also shows that people pray more in their cars than they pray in their places of worship. Which, if you've ever driven in San Francisco, makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Some of those prayers, sometimes maybe expressions of your sinfulness in the car come out more significantly as you pray and ask the Lord to smite someone else. But what does distinctly Christian prayer look like if so many people in our country profess to pray? How does having a relationship with Jesus, how does worshiping the one true living God, what does a prayer look like? We, we acknowledge prayer is essential to the Christian. And yet, we, as we noted last week, so many of us, many of us, even as we're following Jesus for decades, may still struggle with this foundational act of seeking the Lord and speaking to him and listening to him. So we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer line by line over the next few weeks in the hopes that we deepen our prayer, that we deepen intimacy with the Lord, that it begins to shape us as people who are experiencing conversation and hearing and listening and responding to the Lord. I pray that as we look at the Lord's Prayer, it would shape your prayer so that you and your relationship with the Heavenly Father would be much more rich than it is right now. That if you feel very far, that you would feel near, that you would be renewed in your faith and your beliefs and your obedience to the Lord. As a church, as we look at the the words of the Lord's Prayer, that we would be a, a praying people, that we would resist this temptation to act as if we can do the mission that God has given to us. But we would be people who cry out to the Lord, who recognize that the work of changing hearts and carrying out the gospel to the end of the earth, it's ultimately his. And one of the main means from which he works is us calling out to him and depending on him in prayer, that our church would grow in this profound joy and power of praying. I believe God continues and does work powerfully through our prayers. Even as we spoke with some of our cross-cultural workers this morning, they have no reason to be there. I believe they are there because our church prayed for them to be there. And God answered that for his glory, their good and our good. Every single time someone tells me they can't get into this closed access country, I'm reminded of this couple that we have who is there, who we have no reason to be there, but God answered our prayers, seeking his glory. And I pray that wherever you are in your relationship to God, wherever you are in your wrestling and struggling and joys of prayer, that you would take another step, that it would deepen your relationship with Jesus. I think a lot of us, as we become Christians, we somehow wrongly think, although it kind of makes sense why we think this, why we wrongly think it's easy to pray or should be natural to pray. And because it's a struggle or because it's hard for us, sometimes we end up thinking that it's something's wrong with us or maybe something's wrong with God. And yet the disciples understood they needed to be taught to pray. They sought to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. They needed to learn to pray. And so those of us living now, we all also need to learn to pray. It's not something that actually comes very naturally or very easily to us, especially, I think, now in the distracted age that we live in. Have you ever had to train for an athletic competition? Let's just say you're trying to train for a race. 
maybe you're going to run a 5K soon uh, on Thanksgiving, or you're going to try and train for your first half marathon, full marathon. You know, if you're trying to do something physical that your body has never done before, that the very beginning of it is very hard. It's actually not quite natural to your body yet. Your lungs aren't used to it yet. Your legs don't have the capillaries developed to handle the much-needed blood flow to, to deliver oxygen to your muscles as you extend yourself in ways you've not done before. But as you give yourself to the discipline of training, you begin to experience easier times. It becomes part of you. A lot of people give up before developing that. And so it feels like this is too difficult and they don't experience the change that's necessary to accomplish the goals of their athletic desires. But if you do it over the long haul, you make it sustainable, it gets easier, it becomes part of you. And I think it's the same with prayer. It's something that needs to be learned. It's a, it's a muscle that needs to be developed. It's a whole person expectation of eliminating distractions which is very difficult for us today. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline of carving out time into your life, which we aren't used to anymore. Many of us don't go by schedules except for maybe a few things that demand our attention or feel like demand our attention. We, we need to discipline and develop those muscles, develop space, attention, heart, a posture of not just speaking, but also of listening. The structure of the Lord's Prayer is pretty simple. Uh, it's powerful, though. The, the first three requests are actually focused on God, about God, his name, his kingdom, his will. The second focus on our good, our provision, our forgiveness, our protection. And, that, and those two are related, that our good flows from God's glory. And that's one way to kind of think about the overall arching structure of this prayer. It starts with a focus and attention on the Lord and then shifts to us. It's about his name, his kingdom, his will. And then it's about us, our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. We're going to look at the first line, the, the, the person we are addressing in this prayer today, our Father in heaven. And two points we're going to look at today. First, he is our Father. And second, we are his children. Fairly simple. He is our father and we are his children. But some amazing things to learn here. Our father. That's how we begin praying. That's how Jesus teaches us the pattern of speaking and engaging with the Lord. That's one of the main ways we start prayer. Our father. That's why many people, if you hear them praying as Christians, they start with our heavenly father. Lord Jesus, our father. That, that, these are ways that people start, and actually he instructs us that way. That we are to address the Lord as Father. Interesting that that's one of the ways we're instructed to start. There's never actually a way that he instructs us to end. I remember once as a young person uh, in church, and I didn't end my prayers with, in Jesus' name, and the person criticized me. Like, you're not praying right. So no, Jesus never said, pray in his name. But he does tell us, Heavenly Father. He says, Our Father. Now, we hear those words, and it seems so normal. It seems so common. We're, we're callous to what this actually means. That We miss the shock. We miss the power of what's being said here. We're accustomed to it, and so we don't hear as the early disciples would have heard this. They would have been very surprised that they could come to the Lord as Father. No one up until this point had the audacity to address the Lord, the living God, 
the maker of heaven and earth. No one up until this point would have addressed the Lord as Father. No one would have the audacity to say Abba to the Lord. This is the one who the angels were ever sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. This is the one who would speak and everything comes to existence from nothing. The, whole, the high priest, he could only enter the Holy of Holies where the Father, the, the Lord would appear and he could only go in there once a year. And if he went in the wrong way, he would die. They were deathly afraid of calling him wrongly and mistreating his name that they wouldn't even write out the, his, the fullness of his name. And so Jesus says something very surprising here to his disciples. You can address this God who makes everything from nothing, the one who forever the angels will sing, holy, holy, holy. You can actually call him Father. The fundamental reality of prayer that we need to grasp is that he is our Father. It would have been shocking to them, and it's shocking if you actually read the Old Testament and kind of do a word search, the God as Father is only referred to in the Old Testament 15 times. And it's never in reference to the disciples or God's people addressing him as Father. He's described as a Father, but no one ever addresses him. It's only 15 times, but if you look at the Gospels alone, the reference to God or the Lord as Father is 165 times. Fundamental to the shift of what it means to be a Christian is to have a relationship with the Lord that is familial, where you can call him Father. Notice Jesus doesn't start to teach us how to pray by addressing, O King. Although that's true. He is our King. He is our ruler. He doesn't start off by saying, if you want to pray, pray then like this, our Almighty Creator. Although that is also true. He doesn't start off, O Great Lord. That's true too. He says, Father. That's the foundation of our approach. And we need to grasp how amazing this is and how significant this is. Uh, Tim Keller was writing on the concept as God is Father and he helped me understand this by explaining that everyone relates to another person based on some kind of foundational relational basis. And so let's just say you're riding the end Judah and someone approaches you. They're, they're new to San Francisco. You know they're new to San Francisco because they call it San Fran, which makes me cringe every single time I hear it, right? So they, oh, how great is it being in San Fran? Oh, just terrible, right? Someone's on end Judah and they're, they're confused. They don't know the, how the end Judah works. Well, it doesn't work. So you tell them how to get around and they're wondering if it stops at a certain point and they, they approach you. You look like you lived here or you're from here or you, you're present here, kind of. And you look like you'd be friendly. And so they ask you for directions. Where How does this take me to Civic Center? Or does it take me to this place? And this stranger, you don't know them. You have no expectations uh, in kind of relationship to them. But they can come up to you and ask you for directions on the end Judah because of the basis of common courtesy common humanity that you could give them that information you could help them out you could point to that side inside the muni and say this is this is how you look at this i know there's lots of lines here this is the color for the end judah this is how you get around here's how you can avoid the poop streets here's how can you know you can be a common good human to them 
But then that same stranger comes to you. You don't know them. They're new to San Francisco and they call it San Fran and they come up to you and ask, you know, can I come to your house for dinner? You're probably going to say no. You have no relational foundation to them. When everything boils down to how we relate to everything in our relational capacity, whether people or the Lord, you, you can boil it down. There's kind of multiple ways to look at this, but there's two kind of ways generally to relate. You can relate to people as family, or you can relate to people out of business. When I called last week, transactional. A business relationship, a transactional relationship, is based upon what you can do for them and what they can do for you. That's all business relationships. And that can be a good relationship where you are faithful for what you're responsible for and they're faithful for what they're responsible for. In a family relationship, it's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are to that person. It's based upon your base identity to that person. It's not based upon performance. It's a basis of commitment. Think about it another way. Uh, we, before moving to San Francisco, uh, we lived in Chicago. Uh, many of you think we're from Chicago originally. Actually, my wife and I, I'm, I'm from Michigan. That's where I grew up. That's why you hear a lot of my stories there. I grew, my wife grew up in Texas. We lived in Chicago before moving here because I was in seminary in Chicago for those three years. Uh, and while we were living in Chicago, uh, both of us, especially my wife, uh, really developed a love for that area. And we really wanted to stay there. And so I was uh, finishing seminary. Jeanette was working and you know, rent and mortgage are, at, the, at least at that time, I don't know what it's like today, but kind of similar, as long as you could kind of make up the down payment, rent and uh, mortgage were kind of the same. And so she's like, well, she could uh, get a small condo. And she, so she did. She wanted to invest in being present. And, and we bought it in a place that was up and coming. It's kind of like if you had a chance to invest in real estate in uh, the mission before it became cool. Uh, we were like, this neighborhood had like no like cool places yet. Um, but we knew it was going to be cool. And it, we, it, all of it became cool after we left. We're like, oh, we didn't get to enjoy any of it. It's amazing. But we, we bu she bought the place expecting that that would be the place that we would live. And as I was finishing my last year of seminary, I was like, I, I was trying to stay in Chicago. I was really trying and God did not give me any connections that I felt like were a calling there. And obviously I'm here. Uh, and I told her as she was, you know, living in that place, wanting to stay in, uh, in Chicago, that no, actually, I think God's calling us to move to San Francisco, uh, which meant we either had to sell it or had to rent it out. Um, we bought at the worst possible time ever. Uh, and so we had to keep renting it out because the financial downturn really made us want to have to hold on to that place. And we, we've had great tenants living there uh, since we lived here. Most of them have paid their rent on time They've taken care of the place. They didn't destroy it. They, they didn't cause trouble for the other uh, tenants in that unit, in that building. And so if they ask us to fix things in the condo, which often things break, it's in a little older place, uh, you know, then we would probably respond. Well, and if they ask us for things uh, because they're good tenants, we'll at least listen and we'll be, have a conversation. Like one time, one of the tenants was in a transition going back to, I think, business school and they were about to move out and they were in a situation where they could use some rent help. And so they asked for a slight rowing of rent and they could come to us confidently, even make that kind of request because they were good renters. And my wife is a good landlord, right? That's a business relationship. They pay the rent on time. They take care of the place. They do their part. 
And we do our part. When things break and where they have a request, we'll respond and we try our best. When things break, well, we can't fix it, but we'll, we'll do our best to call and ask someone to come and fix it there. That's a business relationship. A family relationship is different. Let's say my kids who live in my house, right? If the things are broken in our house, as often as they are living in a San Francisco house that's built in 1927, uh, if the roof is broken or the fridge is on the fritz, I'll fix it. Actually, no, I won't fix it. I'll hire someone to fix it because I break things. But they don't even have to ask to fix things. In fact, they don't even know when some things are broken. But things will get fixed in our house on the basis of our relationship. If there's a problem, even sometimes before there's a problem that they notice, I'll go and try and fix it. That, that's the nature of our relationship with the Heavenly Father. There are tens of thousands of ways in which God is actually fixing things, working things in your life before you even know that you should be asking God is already doing those things. If one of my kids wakes up at 3 a.m. and needs help, Actually, last time that happened was the night before the San Francisco Marathon. My younger one woke up, and I think she had eaten too much the night before. She woke up. Uh, the door's a little stuck, actually. I think we need to still fix that still. But, like, she couldn't quite open the door, so she couldn't get to the bathroom in time. She was trying to make it. She just threw up all over the door. So they, they, they can wake us up. When they wake up at 3 in the morning and need us, we don't say, well, send me an email. I'll get to you in business hours. They can walk into our room at 3 a.m. and wake us up. They can call on me in the middle of the night. If our renters in Chicago call us at 3 a.m. in the morning, I am not answering that phone call. If they show up at our door somehow, all the way across the country, knocking on the door, I am calling the police. My children, though, can ask much more of me. They can have access to me. There's no limitations on how they approach me because they're paying their rent on time. No, they're not paying their rent on time. No, in fact, you know this, since conception, kids have cost you a lot of money, right? More than you ever know. But they have family access. Not based on what they have done or not done, based on who they are to me. On what basis... Are you approaching God? Are you approaching him based upon what you have done and what he owes in response on the basis of all you've obeyed and all you've served? And so now you have this business expectation. He has to come through for you. Or are you relating to him on the basis of who you are to him as a son? as a daughter, recognizing all you've ever done has cost him. You will never be able to pay that debt, but he responds. He wants to respond. You have complete access to him. There's no limitations to your approach to him because of who you are to him. How do you approach God? This is a fundamental thing we need to grasp, but maybe is the key to understanding why prayer is so hard for so many of us. How do you know how you're approaching God, whether you're approaching him in a business way or a family way? Think about how you respond when his answer to your requests are no. If your relationship with God is a business one and he says no to you and you are thinking you're relating to him based upon what you have done and what he needs to do for you, 
if he doesn't give you what you want, you'll be really angry or really crushed. God, I've been paying my rent on time. I've been doing all these things for you. I've been obeying you. I've been going to church. I've been doing all these. I give 10%. That's more than most people give. I deserve this. Or maybe you're crushed. And so you pray and you can't quite feel like there's a relationship because you know you haven't been paying your rent on time. He's not going to listen to me. I haven't been doing these things. If you respond by complete anger with the Lord or being crushed by your lack of obedience with the Lord, well, maybe it reveals that you're speaking or praying or relating to the Father not as a family member, but as a business deity. At a fundamental level, maybe you relate to him out of a business relationship where you have your performance expectations and he has his. You have your duties and he has his. That's actually what Jesus was saying when the pagans pray. That's a business relationship. Religious people go to God and they say, I will trust you. I'll give you, I'll even let you into my life. Let's go into business. You do your part, I'll do mine. That's how a religious person how everyone who doesn't have a relationship with the living God relates to God. But a Christian goes to God and says, it's amazing to me. I have no idea why I can call you father. I don't owe you anything. But you love me and you give me complete access. You give me complete invitation into your presence. I can knock on your door any time of the evening and you will answer me. I am not, you accept me not because of what I've done or what I haven't done, but because you are great in your love and you've given your son for me. On what basis are you coming to God? If you are constantly approaching God based upon what you have done for him or what you have lacked in doing for him, maybe when it comes to prayer, that's why you don't pray. Because you're disappointed with the business relationship you have. Maybe even when God answers the things that you ask for, if it's a business relationship, there is no praise, there is no gratitude, there is no wonder because you're thinking in your heart, you never say this out loud, well, that's God just doing his job. That's what he owes me. I've been a good renter. Or do you approach God like a, like a child? I can't believe it. My father, he's so incredible. How is it that he's mindful of me at all? And I don't know the word father makes it hard for some of us to hear this. Uh, and that's because in all of our human experiences, even the best human fathers fail and hurt us and cause wounds. And so God, I, I think he understands this potential and he knows this. He actually addresses it later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, where he compares earthly fathers and he even says, even the best earthly fathers, if you ask them for food, they're not going to give you a snake. But how much more will this perfect, infinite loving father will respond to you? He's perfect. He's never against us. If he is our father, think about how he deeply cares for us. Even the best human, even the worst human fathers generally try and provide. How much more will this Heavenly Father provide. Think about how he loves us in his provision. He talks a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount, which I encourage you, if you need a place 
uh, to spend your time and you haven't found a place to, to be in God's word, reflect on the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. He says this in Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Read it with me. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, nor is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Father provides. I have this hummingbird in my backyard. If I ever sit back there, uh, I will always see this hummingbird. And every single time I try and snap a picture of it because I'm amazed that this hummingbird is always there. And every single time, it, I think it, it's a camera shy. It just kind of goes away whenever I try to take a picture of it so I can never get a picture of it. But this hummingbird's there. I don't know the same hummingbird or it's a family of hummingbirds, but every single time I go to the backyard, if I'm there longer than 10 minutes, the hummingbird will come out and eat. I'm assuming it's eating. I don't quite understand hummingbirds completely. But I'm, if I think about what I just read and I think about it in the context of the hummingbird, no one is, no human is caring for this hummingbird. It's not like someone's laying out milk for this hummingbird. It's actually this neighbor I have, maybe a couple blocks down, who puts out food. I don't know if they have an outdoor cat or what, but every single time I walk by, if I happen to walk by at night, I see raccoons eating from it. I don't know if the person's intentionally trying to feed raccoons or they're feeding their outdoor animal, but I'm, I want to like knock on the door and be like, you know, you're sustaining the, the survival of the raccoons in our neighborhood. <laughs> this family of raccoons is surviving because of you. Um, no, one, no one's doing that for hummingbirds though. And this hummingbird comes, no one's physically created a shelter for this hummingbird. No one's taking this hummingbird to the vet. How does it survive? In the way that God has constructed the ecosystem and the workings of this world. He is caring and providing for it. How much more? Does his heavenly father care for his image bearers? For his children? The hummingbird is not his child. You are. It says our father in heaven. We're actually going to reflect on that location a little bit more next week. But I, I think this is important to see that even though he's incredibly intimate, he's also transcendent and full of wonder. Think about how little children, little, little children, like people, children under five, definitely four and under, how they look at your parents. There's a moment in every little child's life who they look up to their father, especially. Little kids will look up to me and say, dad, you're so tall. Because that only exists when they're three years old, right, with me. So that's the only time to ever say that. Actually, when I visited one of my friends uh, in, in uh, Mississippi and I uh, stayed with them. And he has three little girls. Uh, one of them a little older. The youngest one, I think, is like four years old. I, I, I've never met his kids. And I go and I meet them for the first time, bring them gifts and stuff. I, I hand it out to my friends, kids. And the youngest one says to me, you're tiny. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll be, her dad is like 6'5", right? So like her conception of like male adults is like way bigger. So she's like, you're tiny, right? So I, I can't quite claim that with relationship to this friend. But like my kids, when they were like four and under, like, dad, you're so tall. You're so smart. You're so, like, they think that of us, right? Our father is in heaven, this intimate, approachable father with complete access that we have simultaneously is transcendent and above. He's infinite, eternal, almighty, unlimited. His location also should cause us to wonder and be overwhelmed by the privilege of being his children. The access we have to him. I love what Solomon says. He asked, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth as you think about the temple? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Maybe if we're bored in our prayers, we forgot where our heavenly father is and who he is. First, we need to understand as we think about prayer, he is our father who is in heaven. Are you relating to him as a renter to a landlord or are you relating to him as a child? That's where we get to the second point. We are his children. In a general sense, all of humanity is God's children because everyone owes his existence, whether they acknowledge him as Lord or not. Everyone in this world owes his existence to God, but that's not what father means here. It's not a universal fatherhood. Being a child is not a human right. This kind of child before the Lord. It's a spiritual privilege. It's only disciples who can call him father. Look at John says in his gospel and then his smaller epistle. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. To be his child means that you have been adopted. Because we're not his natural-born children by faith. We've rebelled. We've rejected this father. If you are now in his family, you have been adopted. You've been given rights. When you trust, when you surrender to Jesus, and you trust that the only hope you have for eternity, the only way you can ever be right is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you are adopted into his family and given rights as a child. Think about adoption for a moment. Adoption is never the result of the child's effort. Adoption is never the result of the child's work or performance. Especially even think about younger children or even infants who are adopted. They don't even seek it out. They have no idea what's going on. Adoption is always an act of the parent. Adoption is all grace. Adoption isn't based upon behavior modification, being a good renter, a change in their nature. Yes, there may be a change in behavior, a change in their you know, actions and the way that they relate to other people as they be join your family, but your actual initial adoption is all grace. It's not a change in performance. It's actually a legal status change. An adopted child is now legally under someone's care. And as they are brought into the home of this new person, as they learn what it means to be 
a child in this new family with new parents in a new place, they learn how to be the child in that new place. Look what Jesus says and prays for us in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 23. I love, this is this shocking to me. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. And if you have your own Bible, I would circle this. Even as you loved me. He's praying that we would experience and know and the world would see that the Heavenly Father loves His children, those who are His children in Christ, even as the Father has loved Jesus. Here's a question for us to wonder and ponder on. How much does the Father love Jesus? How much does the Heavenly Father love His Son? Infinitely so eternally so, perfectly so, fully so. Being a child of God, being his adopted son and daughter, means that the love that the Father has for Jesus is the same love he has for you. He is as committed to Jesus as he is to you. Do you understand how outrageous this is? When you pray, behind the prayer is this doctrine of adoption that you are adopted into his family by Jesus, the Father choosing you. And as the Father loves his own son, he also then equally loves his adopted son and daughter. As much, even so, perfectly so. Look what Paul says in Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow or co-heirs, some translations say, with Christ. Co-heirs. Not second class. Not less than. Everything Jesus gets, you get. That's how outrageous this is. You get the full care, attention, access. You can call him. Anytime you have access that the Old Testament would only, that they wouldn't even grasp this. They could only enter the Holy Holies once a year by one person as a representative. Every one of his children have access all the time. We have confidence that when we pray, we have a loving father who chose us and loves us with the same love that he loves Jesus. Even as he has loved Jesus. He's loved you with the same length, with the same commitment, with the same fervor, with the same steadfastness. And you know what the hard part of this is? Believing it. You know, people who believe this, I've met people who really believe this and are growing in their belief of this. They live totally different lives. Even me, as I reflected on this, the, the extent of my living out my faith in Christ and my, my, my trust and my ability to be bold for the sake of the gospel anchors, comes down to this, how much I believe he's my father, how much I believe I'm his child. And even I, 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 I need to grow in this. Someone who sees God as father and themselves as a child 
has no anxiety or worry. That's why he preaches about that in the Sermon on the Mount, because he's our father. He's committed to you. He cares for you, even as he cares for Jesus. Someone who believes this fully and is growing in this will never be prayerless because they will see that the greatest place of joy and contentment and renewal in their life is in the presence of this Father. They will recognize they have complete access. They will spend time with Him. They will want to be with Him. He is saying, friends, this Father, if you are, especially if you're in Christ, friends, you are His child. He didn't choose you because you got yourself right. He didn't choose you because you, you were more intelligent than the next person or you behave better than the next person. No, he chose you in Christ because of your faith in him. And you have the same love and access as the Father. Maybe if you've been stuck in your Christian life or maybe if your prayers are less than what you would hope, that is what you need to wrestle with and ask the Holy Spirit to press into your heart, deeper into your mind is to see he is your father and you are his child. Friends, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're a young person and you're being forced to come to church. I remember that because I was forced to go to church in high school too in my early years. And you're just kind of there because you want to you know, at least honor your father and mother and you're trying to be a good kid. You don't inherit Jesus by your parents. And this is not true of young people too. This is even those of us who've been around Christian things for generations. You don't inherit it. You don't, you don't get, get transferred by osmosis or DNA. This is something you respond to. Maybe you need to reflect that you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe there is no prayer in your life because what you've been expecting God to be like is a landlord, is a good boss. And maybe that's why, because if that's the kind of relationship we have, it's a very difficult one to sustain. I pray that you would discover his love for you in Christ. That he gave Jesus for you, not because you were so good or you avoided you know, certain bad things. or he, 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 Even if you are deeply aware and humble enough to recognize how far you are, how, how desperate you are, he, didn't give it, he gave it to you in that place. He gave you his son even when we were his enemies, he lifted up his son so that you would know him and have access to him as an adopted child. Friends, I pray as we look through this Lord's Prayer that this is an invitation. It truly is an invitation from the Father to come to him as a son and daughter. And we're going to respond in prayer. Um, if you noticed, if you were here at the beginning of service, uh, we did a little shifting today of our service. Um, we only sang one song in the beginning. Part of this is practical because me and other pastors, we tend to preach too long at times. So we want to make sure there's enough time for prayer. Um, there's plenty of time for prayer today. And what we want is prayer, uh, a space for it. Uh, and even if you're someone who doesn't quite know what that looks like yet, maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Like maybe the prayer you need to ask is just, you know, I've heard this thing about Jesus. I hear about the Holy Spirit. God, would you, would you move? Would you speak? Would I, would I be able to hear? Maybe that's just a humble prayer you need to make. That's your honest desire. I believe God will speak. God will answer. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to 
respond to this father. And that response is varied. Some of that response is just joy and worship and amazement. And, we, and it just it expresses itself out. Those of you who experienced amazing things in your life, joyful things in your life, you know, even if you're someone who's just kind of more introverted or less expressive, if something you've been waiting for for a long time happens to you, you will respond in, in something. It will come out of you in words or you want to call someone or you will physically respond in some way. And we want to be able to do that. And maybe you need to do that in, in your seat and you, you'll raise your hands or you'll fit your hands before you or you just do whatever it is that God is leading you to respond. Some of you are, and I know this because I've talked to you, some of you in our church, you, you are very needing spaces to reflect and be expressive in your worship and prayer. And just to be honest about our church, because of cultural backgrounds, maybe the way our church has been, it feels a little more limiting because our church is less expressive. And that's okay. There's, there's spectrums of that. But maybe you are very expressive and you've been waiting for that chance to, to have that space and not feel like everyone's looking at you. This is that space. We, we want to create that space for that, whether it's in your seats. And actually what we have in the front of our uh, sanctuary is some pillows here. And uh, just it's, a, it's an invitation. There's nothing magical about the pillows. They're kind of just boring pillows we bought. But they're an invitation to respond, whether it's something that just is a part of who you are or maybe the Spirit is leading you to respond in, in expression and dependence or just joy use them as a, as a marker of space you don't have to use the pillows you can feel free to come up as an expression often that our worship is can be contained and it needs to come out in some way you need to express that whether it's dependence or a joy and we want to invite you to to utilize that as we sing and respond and pray and some of you maybe just need to sit there because it's just confession you don't you don't even need to sing the next song there's just going to be flowing tears in the spirit because you are deeply needing to confess something it is that is hindering your relationship with this father that you so desperately loves you and you just need to have space and time to do that it's open in this room there's space in the front we'll have some friends here uh, also if you you are someone who also would like to be prayed over um, we'll have some friends here standing near the front you'll notice them because they'll be standing kind of facing uh, out and you can just tap their shoulder and be like, I, I need prayer. And if you need prayer outside of this room, you feel free to leave the sanctuary, go pray uh, in another room in the building. Uh, if you want to just pray here, that's, that's okay too. Uh, we wanted to leave room for us to pray and to respond to this Father. Uh, let me pray as we begin to come before the Father. Heavenly Father, how amazing it is that we can call you that. That we have access to you as loved children. May your spirit free us to believe that. Free us from shame of not performing like we should. Free us from shame that we feel like that we need to be sinless to, to have a relationship to you. Give us confidence to wrestle with sin, but 
give us confidence more so in the gospel that frees us to recognize that you loved us not because of us, because you are loved. May you enable worship. May you bring sons and daughters to yourself today. Maybe for the first time or maybe just renewing that relationship, may you enable us to give of our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, strength, body to you in this time as we respond. Would you heal, Lord? Heal relationships. Would you heal our hearts? May you free us from patterns of sin because you love us. Because you open your arms to us. And we believe that we are your children. To your glory and our good. Amen.